0: This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and it is February. It is the month that is known as Black History Month although we can learn about African-American contributions to American history all year long. But this is when we focus on it. And we spend a tremendous amount of time celebrating the achievements and the success of so many in our community. But what we're going to do with the program today is talk about black history that no one likes to talk about, that no one wants to think about. And it's because it deals with our criminal justice system specifically, the juvenile justice system, and how our schools, sadly, have become a pipeline for young black people to find their way into the prison system. Our guest on the program today is William Johnson. He is the founder of a nonprofit organization called the Four Corners Group. They work to, I think you told me, William, as you were coming downstairs, that's your goal, to eradicate This pipeline of of African Americans from school to prison. Tell us about your organization.
1: Absolutely. So, Four Corners Group uh, exists to restore hope to youth in crisis by providing pathways for thriving adulthood. Uh, Sadly said, uh, most young people that may be in foster care or caught up in the juvenile justice system, Uh, many of them don't do very well when they become adults. And so, our goal is to Uh, work with young people that are primarily caught up uh, in the juvenile justice system. So whether they're in a YDC or they've just been in court multiple times uh, or either on house arrest or either they're in an alternative school, uh, which we're currently working with some alternative schools uh, or it's in their works anyway. And we've been told 40 or 50% of those kids are already have been in house arrest or been in the juvenile court system for some kind of infraction and so really just working with young people that are caught up in this context uh, and helping them to change the trajectory of their lives uh, and also to break this cycle of recidivism, which tends to be uh, 70 to 80 percent across the country. So that means for every 10 young people, uh, the youngest I've met is 10 years old. uh, So any young person from the age of 10 up to 17 uh, that may be in the juvenile justice system or caught up in the RYDC, that means out of that uh, 10 to 18-year-olds, uh, whether they're female or male, 10 of them are released, 8 of them are coming back. And so our heart is to really uh, change those numbers, um, eradicate that school to the prison pipeline because we think it goes through the juvenile justice system and the RYDCs.
0: What was going on with the 10-year-old you encountered?
1: Uh, this was a young man that I met uh, in Gwinnett County uh, some 10 years ago, and he had vandalized his school uh, with some graffiti, and um, and so he was spending some time in the in the juvenile uh, justice system uh, because of the—I don't know how much time he'll end up doing, but the sad thing, Condis, is that many times kids can be in there for something really simple, and because the courts are so backed up, they will spend— it could be a month. It could be a year while they're just waiting to go before the judge. And so uh, and so a lot can happen uh, with a young person, especially that young of age, uh, being around some probably more offensive people. Um, it can end up uh, adding to more or worse criminal behavior.
0: Making them more of that eight that end up going back into the system once they get out? Absolutely. How did you find your passion for this work? What... What made you start to do this?
1: Um, So I spent I was uh, blessed to spend about six years as a youth pastor uh, under the leadership of Dr. Michael Woods in uh, Tucker, Georgia. And uh, in 2003, um, uh, I really just sensed God saying, hey, the kids I want you to reach, they're not coming to this church campus. They're not coming to any church campus. And I really struggled with that for about two years. Just every year I just got more restless to just be outside the four walls of the church and really figure out what God was, you know, what was this population of kids he was calling me to. Um, I was thrilled when they said, hey, we're going to bring on another youth pastor and you can begin to train him. And so I did that. And in 2006, I slid out of that position. Um, And someone invited me to a juvenile facility in Gwinnett County off of High Hope Road. And the linchpin was, they said, can you just come one time and encourage some kids? And uh, and I said, absolutely, I can come one time and do this, uh, have a heart for kids, got two daughters of my own. And so. So you're a girl dad. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I had a house full of women. And so um, and so um, so I went and uh, and I kind of had already made up my mind what it would be like. I, you know, been to Memorial Drive to the jail there and done. Uh, you know, um, uh, worked with men, you know, that were in jail. And so I said, well, it can't be too much different than that other than it's just teens. And so when I went uh, that one day, um, that facility housed, they said they had maybe 40 beds, but it seemed like about 55 kids came out. I can remember like it was yesterday. And the thing is that kids don't have to come out for programming. And it was my first time and they all came out. And uh, the Lord just really just broke my heart for those kids. And uh, the only difference was it could have been my daughters, but many of the young ladies and young men that I met on that day, unlike my daughters, they were most of them were without a father, were fatherless, were had addictions. Um, Many of the young ladies had been, you know, after after I started this journey, had been molested or raped. Uh, by mom's boyfriend, and that's why they were on the addictions, to medicate uh, what had happened to them. And so uh, one day ended up turning into eight years that I continued to go to that facility and just love on kids, do life skills, share a, uh, a Bible story from them, and give them the opportunity to make a decision to you know walk with the Lord. And even if they didn't want that, to at least give them some of the assets and tools that they could begin to make better decisions when they got out. And so that's kind of how this journey uh, this journey began for me.
0: Not that it's a numbers game, but talk to me about the success you've enjoyed. Tell me about some of the kids that you reached and who have been able to make better decisions as you describe them so that they're not in the juvenile justice system and then in the adult criminal justice system.
1: Absolutely. Well, let me just give you a little a little back context. So we actually didn't start this nonprofit uh, officially until 2013. So uh, I like to say before then, in 2006, I was kind of underground. <laughs> I was off the grid, and, uh, and I just really sensed the Lord saying, hey, no, I want you to come above ground and make this a national thing. And so after many years, uh, from 2006, uh, Within that year, I had someone from the, the uh, from the DeKalb County School System say, "Hey, we've seen what you've been doing out here with kids. Uh, can you create a do you, you know Can you create a leadership program? Would you be interested in coming and meeting with our principal?" And I'm like, "This is kind of foreign, but I'll come out and meet with the principal." And uh, and so I met with the principal of Stone Mountain High School, and uh, and she said, "Miss Carolyn Williams," she said, um, "I." You know, I have uh, about two to 300 kids on a caseload that if they don't get intervention, they're going to end up in that juvenile facility that you're at. And so we started a pilot program called No Limits, No Boundaries that year. Uh, and uh, and through an organization back then was called Out Your Mind. Now it's called Thrive Youth Development, and it still exists. It's a nonprofit. Didn't start it to be a nonprofit. Somebody said, hey, you're already doing this great work. You need to turn it into one. And so, uh, kind of between 2007 and up to now, we probably service close to about 3,000 kids that are the same kids we meet in the juvenile facility. And these are kids that schools normally say, hey, we can't do anything with them. We want them out or good luck if you're able to do anything. And I would say we probably had a 99% success rate with seeing kids that shouldn't have graduated from school, graduate or matriculate from middle school to high school or that were in high school and were – in gang, smoking, doing all kinds of stuff, and working with these kids and then giving them an opportunity to be empowered by allowing them to come back and serve other kids with the things that they've learned, right? And so there's a mentorship piece to this. And so, uh, and so we've seen a, a tremendous success of just um, kids uh, that were majorly at risk, that just weren't doing well academically or whatever the case may be, behavior-wise, uh, absent from school, 30, 40 days, a year on average, and, uh, and just seeing them do well. Um, and then one kid in particular, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, that we met in 2008, and this young man uh, was in the juvenile facility, and, uh, and he came to a Thrive leadership program. Um, and then once he graduated after seven weeks, and he came back and continued to serve those young people, Uh, And now this young man is working with kids up in Pennsylvania himself and doing well. And so that's just one of the many success stories. Literally what we've done is taken all those years of experience of working with Thrive, with uh, majorly at-risk youth, what I like to say at-promise youth uh, in school systems. We've taken that and we've created a Pathways program as part of our 1625 initiative. That's what we call what we do as far as adopting juvenile facilities in multiple cities and states. We don't talk about Four Corners much because people don't care about institutions. They care more about the work that we're doing. So this 1625 initiative has this pathways component connected to it where we'll literally take the kids that we've met in the juvenile facilities, if they reach back out to us, or either through um, uh, you know, court-mandated students that maybe had a first or second infraction, or maybe they're involved in a gang or whatever the case may be, and they're sent to us or maybe they're in an alternative school and they're on a track to to get caught up, you know, in the juvenile system. Uh, we'll take those students and, as part of our cohort and place them with the best coaches that we could find in, in, in the, what I believe in the state of Georgia. I like to say the entire was Earl <laughs> um, and um, along with some of the coaches that work with Thrive. And we'll take them through an eight week track of character development, job readiness, service projects, discovering. Uh, we do some assessments, some Briggs analysis, and really help them get excited about what's inside of them. And even though a uh, majority of our kids are three to four years and they're behind in their reading and their writing, we help them understand you can still be a valuable uh, citizen to your community. If we can help you get the character you need to, to get you where you want to go and help you get the assets and the tools you need to keep you there, because we understand you could be a millionaire. We see it in politics. We see it in in sports. People make millions of dollars, but they lack the character sometimes that will keep them there. Well, we want our kids to have what they need to get them there and also to sustain them in that space, right? Um, And so we want them, character is a non-negotiable, character education. That's the first eight weeks, first part of the Pathways program. And then we'll continue to walk with those kids. And so through the assessment, if they seemed like they were interested. we got a young man r- right now. I'm really excited about him. His name is Philip. Um, I'm going to be at the court with him tomorrow morning. Matter of fact, he's going before the judge. He's been going the pathways. And, man, he's really excited about his future and wants to become an auto mechanic and own his own business. And so, Philip, when he graduates on the 19th of this month, we'll continue to walk with him. We'll place a mentor on one side, and we'll place a guidance coach on the other side and continue to walk with him for the next year. And then we'll also place him in an internship or a paid internship or apprenticeship opportunity and help this young man, at least for the next year, maybe two years, get to where he needs to be so that he can be a valuable citizen to his community, change the trajectory of his life, and uh, and not be one of the eight that return back into the juvenile system.
0: Two questions for you. And in case you're just joining us, we're talking to William Johnson. He is the founder of a nonprofit organization, that is working inside our juvenile justice system to help kids, not kids who are at risk, but as he describes them, kids who are at promise, to make Mm. sure that they don't stay caught up on that path and end up in that pipeline to prison. William, I wanted to ask you, the young man who's now working and doing work similar to what you're doing now that you touched, who's in Pennsylvania now, what was it that turned him around? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I would honestly say, uh, and not just from this young man, uh, Paul Spicer is his name, uh, but uh, a lot of our students will talk about the family that that they receive as a result of coming to program. So it wasn't a program. It was the relationships that were formed of healthy people in the community uh, that really added assets and values to these young people's lives and helped them to understand that they were important, that they were unique, that they had something to offer the world and really helped to, to really just plant that seed and help to nourish that. Um, we have young people that have been going down to Safe Houses, which is one of our partners, and doing pancake brunches for the homeless community, going down to the Immaculate Mary and, and feeding, you know, 500 people in two hours that were, Uh, on the street with, you know, soups and, and, uh, you know, uh, cups of coffee. And young people understand that, hey, even though I don't have much, I understand that I still can add value to someone else's life and that I am important and that I can make a difference. And so it's just uh, that culture that's created through the pathways and formerly through the Thrive environment um, of caring people and then really just being intentional about adding assets to kids. Uh, They say the average kid has about 18 assets when he or she is in middle school. Uh, When I did this test, I had 10. They say it takes 33 for a young person to thrive as an adult, right? And so if you only have 18, then you understand why so many young people are in a crisis, because they're lacking at least 18 more of the assets they need to begin thriving. Well, when a young person comes through our Pathways program, they automatically end up with at least 18 more additional assets, added to their life over the course of those eight weeks. And so, uh, so again, and this is, uh, we didn't even know this existed, but these were things and components that we already had that were a part of our work. And then we, and then we found out through Search Institute that there were actually data and, and information to actually validate that what we were doing was life-changing and making a difference in the life of a kid. So, um, so yeah, uh, we like to say we're helping our students get their assets together.
0: And when you talk about these assets, these are Uh positive, strong people of character that you're introducing into the lives of these young people as opposed to that that family draw that could be a gang, Mm -hmm. but for the wrong reasons.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yes. There are are 40 different assets, so it could be uh, that community cares. Um, It could be, hey, I have a mentor. Uh, I'm part of a youth organization or a youth group that's making me better. Uh, I'm empowered by serving others. Right. Uh, We had a young man who uh, was actually one of our students, uh, came from Stevenson High School, as a freshman and uh, went through something similar through Thrive, that's similar to a Pathways program, Uh, went through the first year, was very uh, an introvert, was very shy and timid, uh, ended up being volunteer of the year two years later as a young person. He was the first student that was volunteer of the year. And, uh, and he admitted on the day that uh, he received this award that he was uh, depressed and that he was thinking about committing suicide. He Come from a two-parent home and it looks like everything's together. But it just goes to show that, you know, all of our young people are really at risk of not fulfilling, you know, their God, uh, you know, uh, ordained potential. And so this young man, uh, he ended up going to Full Sail uh, in Florida, getting his degree. And, uh, and came back and said, hey, Mr. J., I want to serve kids, and, uh, and came back and put in about 200 hours of volunteer service over the course of a year, about two years ago. And now he's our Toastmaster coach. He is literally 22 years old. And so can you imagine a group of young people that are looking at a Toastmaster coach that's 22 years old that's teaching them how to brand themselves and to publicly speak and to be able to communicate well? And so those are just some of the stories and some of the things that we have happening as far as pathways, which ends up being an asset, you know, um, and so uh, so that's kind of yeah. Those are those are that's kind of what's going on.
0: And do you find, William, that when you can take a 22-year-old success story, someone who has been through the Pathways program and has had it impact their lives positively, when they are working with young people who are kind of closer to them in age, that the young people will look to them and say? Yeah, I'm really going to listen to you because I know you get it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's huge. Um, And not only this young man, uh, whose name is Kayyem McCoy, that's our Toastmaster coach. But if you can imagine folks like Philip, who I just mentioned, Philip, I'm sure he will come back and what we call pay it forward. Right. So whatever he's gifted with, uh, however, we can utilize that skill, that gift and that talent within pathways. Uh, we'll allow him to do that, come back as often as he can and serve other students, right? And so that's how we're strengthening communities. That's how we're creating leaders, one student at a time. Um, And that empowers and that encourages inspires other students that, hey, I've never seen a young person doing this before. And so that's part of the problem is that not only do we have a population of young people that are fatherless, that are broke, that are hurt, that are disappointed, uh, and that's part of the reason why they're making these bad decisions but sometimes they've just never seen anything different. I mean, we've literally taken, through Thrive, we've taken uh, kids down to Georgia Tech and Georgia State and to meet entrepreneurs at Chick-fil-A and different places like that. And these kids have said, hey, we've never walked on concrete sidewalks before. We've heard about Georgia Tech, but we never, ever thought we'd see it. I mean, they've never been out of their community. They've never, ever seen anything differently. So part of what we're doing is just helping students to see something different, not just places, but also people. And so the community is a huge part of of, uh, of what we're doing. And, and for students that come back and serve, they've never seen anything like this. You know, I had a student over, uh, over at uh, one of the middle schools tell me, hey, my mom told me never to do anything for free, so I definitely ain't volunteering. I mean, that was the mindset, right? And so we see this across the, the nation, not just with students, but even with adults that, hey, If there's nothing really in it for me, then why should I do it? And the fact of the matter is, John Maxwell, who's one of my mentors from afar, I never met him in person, but I read a lot of his books. And he says, for for every 40 hours we work, we should be given a tenth of the time that we work. So that means every week we should be given at least four hours back to our community if we really want to grow as leaders. And so, um, so that encourages me, and that's what we use to help encourage students to give back. And uh, and uh, and it makes them better people and better leaders and it makes our community stronger, one student at a time.
0: Now, how do you convince a young person who's been told all his or her life that you don't do anything without getting something in return, that just because it's not a tangible asset that he or she is receiving in return, such as compensation, that there's value in giving of your time because that is how we grow as leaders. That is how we grow as significant contributors to our communities.
1: Absolutely. So uh, sometimes you can't really convince them. You know, if you're saying, hey, we're getting ready to go over here, we're getting ready to do this, and there's going to be pizza afterwards, right? So sometimes it takes the pizza. It takes some encouragement. And uh, we took some students down uh, from Sequoia Middle School, some young ladies and some young men, Hispanic, African-American kids, uh, last year down to Safe House. And they served, uh, did pancake brushes Some of them made the breakfast. Some of them sitting, played checkers with some of the people that came in, and uh, all of those kids said, "Hey, when can we come back?" And so I think it's really just exposing them and allowing them the opportunity. Opportunity is really all it takes. And 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 the people that received uh, what the students gave, you know, told those students how much they made a difference in their lives. You know, people that had been living on the streets or maybe hadn't seen their sons or daughters in a while. And, and some of our girls, I mean, they were literally in tears because of the impact that it made on on some of these uh, young people that went down there. And so I think it's really, hey, we just say, come and see. We're going to make sure you f- eat well when you finish. And when it's all and down, they're not even thinking about the food. They're thinking about, hey, when can we come back? And I've heard multiple students ask me that. We go down to the soup kitchen, feed 500 people. Students say, Hey, I've never done anything like this before, Mr. J, but when can we come back? When can I come back? Why? Because this is how we were created. We were created to serve. And that makes us part of, that gives us part of our identity as, as young people and even as adults. And, and so, they
0: get to see themselves on the hand, on the side of the equation where they are serving someone as opposed yeah. to being on the other side of that equation in the line to receive that gift.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you're overwhelmed with volunteers. You don't need any additional help to do what no, you're
1: doing. No, we didn't. <laughs> No, as the young people say, don't get that twisted, of Don't get that twisted. No, we so how are not. Can, so
0: how can people get involved with the work that you're doing, such critical work with young people in this community?
1: Absolutely. Well, there's a few ways. Uh, so they can visit us on our website, which is uh, fourcornersgroup.net, spelled out F-O-U-R, uh, corner, C-O-R-N-E-R-S, group.net. Uh, you got to make sure you put the .NET on there. Otherwise, you'll find some guys in Canada or something. So <laughs> you want to make sure it's fourcornersgroup.net. So you can visit us there. You can also email us at volunteer at fourcornersgroup.net. Uh, you can also go to Volunteer Match, which is a, a new platform that we begin to utilize. Um, and so they can Google Volunteer Match, and they can find, uh, find us there. And, uh, and we have a, a, a brilliant young man just fresh out of uh, college from Arizona, uh, Mr. Justin, uh, that runs that platform and will help uh, vet uh, people that are interested in joining our work and help them get onboarded. So those are the three ways that people can find us.
0: William Johnson, founder of the Four Corners Group. Again, that's four, F-O-U-R-C-O-R-N-E-R-S group.net. dot net. And also check out Volunteer Match if you want to connect with them that way. Incredible work that you're doing in the community, sir. Thank you very much for sharing just a little bit of your stories with our audience.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another their perspective.